0: Thank you for that introduction, too. I felt like it was just yesterday to where I was sophomore year of North Greenville and preaching in October. And I remember you saying that I was thinking about Southeastern Seminary. And lo and behold, it went from being three years away to being a week and a half away. Time is going by really fast, but a lot to be excited for there. Um, If you have your Bibles, um, if you would, open up to the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, We will continue our series there in chapter 11, verse 1 to 6. Again, that's Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 1 to 6. There has been, there has probably been perhaps no other book of the Bible that has impacted me in my college years than Ecclesiastes. That's hit that number one spot. I remember uh, being on staff at TVR um, for summer staff in 2019, and I popped open my ESV study Bible that I got here as a graduate in high school and I remember opening up Ecclesiastes for the first time and uh, been in love with it ever since so to be able to preach from this book here is an honor and to preach um, places in a place in South Carolina and to preach a couple other places is a blessing but to be able to preach in my home church the church that raised me is a special blessing And we know that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. And to that, all God's people said, amen. Amen. Here's what the word of the Lord says. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth, and if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observed the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with a child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed, and at the evening, withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. This is the word of the Lord, and we can thank him for it, and now let's go to him in prayer and ask him for help. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Father, you know how unworthy I feel to be here in this pulpit this morning. Uh, I pray for help in a special way here this morning. Um, Bless our time here together as we worship you with the gathering of your saints, Lord. What a blessing it is. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. One of, the, one of my favorite preachers that me and Isaac have had, Pastor Isaac have had a common love for is Kevin DeYoung. And when I graduated high school, um, there was a book that he wrote called Just Do Something. And in that book, Kevin DeYoung mentioned this article from, from the LarkNews.com. And the article from this website, it had this headline, Man of 91 Dies Waiting for the Will of God. And the article described a man named Walter Houston who spent his life hanging around his house and praying for God to declare what he wanted to do with his life. Whenever Walter considered doing something big in his life, he would pull back because he did not want to disappoint God. He did not want to be outside of God's will. Now, his good friend Timothy had this to say about Walter. He said, Walter had a number of skills He never got around to using. He worked very well with wood and had a storyteller side to him, too. I always told him, take a risk. Try something new if you're not happy. But he was too afraid of letting the Lord down. Now, if you're familiar with LarkNews.com, you'll know that this story is completely made up. It's not real. But think about this story and ask, do we know anybody like this? Folks that may, these folks, you may know them, they may tremble and fear about making the wrong decision so much that they choose not to do anything with their life until they are 125% sure that that is the right decision. They wait for God's riding in the stars. That they wait for the magic... Eight ball of God to say that this school is the right place to go or to go to the right doctor, the right person to date, or to marry. Have we ever had moments like this in our lives? When we ask God to answer, it's easy to forget that God has already spoken to us in his word. It's according to the word we live our lives in wisdom. But how does that look exactly in light of Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 1 to 6? Here's the, main, here's the main takeaway. The preacher of Ecclesiastes wants his readers to make bold decisions with wisdom. And so today, we must make bold decisions wisely. Many of us may know some Walter Houstons in our life, and we've probably had some Walter Houston moments in our lives. We become paralyzed in our decision making. We can become paralyzed because we don't want to fail or we know that certain things are out of our control. Should uncertainty give us reason to sit still and do nothing? The preacher of Ecclesiastes gives us a better answer make bold decisions wisely. Now, what are some of the ways that we can do this? This takes us to verse 1 and 2 of our text, which we could summarize as simply saying this. Take a risk and spread it around. In other words, be bold. Be bold with your eggs and don't put all your eggs in one basket. Let's go to verse 1. which says, "'Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days.'" I'm sure many of you have heard this verse before, and it's one of the more popular verses, and that cast bread upon the waters, a very popular phrase in Ecclesiastes. Um, there's a lot of debate on what commentators have said about this bread upon the waters. Um, and reading back and forth through that this past week, um, reading that debate is basically like the debate on who has the best Division One collegiate football program in the triangle some say that nc state is projected to have one of the best defenses in the country go pack (laughs) some say unc could be the team that comes out of nowhere like way Forest last year they just have a really good season and they could win the acc championship this year Now, if you're an NC State fan like me, you might think that's a very bold assumption. You may even wonder if that's even a wise assumption. (laughs) The debate is real. The debate is real about this bread upon the waters. So what does it mean? A lot of scholars look at this and say that it refers to overseas business trade. This could have been trading things like just bread in general, or especially like thin pita bread. I love pita pita bread in my sandwiches, so good. It could have been that, or it could have been just simple trading of grain in general. If someone in Solomon's day was to get involved in overseas trade, it would not be wise for them to invest in just one ship. If that one ship sunk, all their profit would be gone. But if they spread their trade around to several different ships, it's less likely for them to come out empty. We can think of this with the phrase, don't put all your goods in one ship, or back to, don't put all your eggs in one basket. It's risky, might lose a little bit, but you probably won't lose all of it. You never know how much profit you could gain from trade, hence the phrase, for you will find it after many days. So some say it's talking about trade. And some say it's mainly talking about charity and helping our neighbors. And some say this verse is influenced from an Egyptian proverb which says, Do a good deed and throw it in the river. And when it dries up, you shall find it. And you may even think of that southern gospel song that sings based off this verse. It sings, I cast my bread upon the water by helping my brother, struggling a life's stormy sea. Now folks, whether this passage was mainly talking about trade or charity, we could talk about that all day. But at the end of the day, both are easily applicable towards us. We could easily apply both from this passage. We could easily say this about our finances, especially with stocks, mutual funds. And this applies to things like even something small like picking a fantasy football team. It's not much wisdom in picking everybody from one team, but picking a team from a variety of real teams is wisdom. And this also applies to asking for advice from those you trust about a certain decision you have to make. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14 says, In an abundance of counselors, there is safety. This also applies to us in service to the kingdom of Christ. When we act in service to a variety of folks for the gospel, it will bear fruit, even when we don't realize it. In the parable of the banquet in Luke 14, Jesus said to invite the poor to the banquet because they cannot repay you. What was he saying? He's saying that we act in bold wisdom by serving others and expect nothing in return. Because of that, the Lord will bless us. He sees that and he will bless us. Whether it's now in this life or in the life to come. How else could we describe this? Verse 2 says, give a portion to seven or even to eight. Now, many of us know the number seven uh, means completeness from scripture, so for Kohaleth to say seven or eight is to say, "Give incompleteness and then some." Of course, making bold decisions like this requires wisdom. This is not saying that we should sell our cars and our houses and live in tents. Rather, he is saying that we handle what we have wisely and sparingly. And it could mean inviting people to your house or offering car rides. And for those of us with either little finance or much finance, we would be wise in boldness to give generously in a wide range of places. And the same goes with our time. Time and finances are two of the biggest ways that we can serve one another. And God did not give us those things for us to simply keep to ourselves. For the Hebrew people in overseas trade, they would have been making a bold but wise decision to spread their trade among seven or eight different ships. And the same could go for things like stocks. What's what's some reasoning for this? Look at the back end of of verse 2. He says, give a portion to seven or eight. And then he says, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. This passage has this phrase, you don't know or you know not. Same thing. Um, That phrase is mentioned in our text four different times. Once here. Once twice in verse five. And once in verse six. And we don't know it all, so we take a risk and we spread it around because there's uncertainty under the sun. Our understanding about the future and the things around us are limited compared to the sovereignty of God. James chapter 4 verse 15 says, If the Lord wills, we will do this or that, because one of us might pass away in a car wreck tomorrow nothing's certain unless the Lord permits it to happen. None of us know if we have 50 years or 50 minutes left to live. There are some things we just don't know and never will know. So how does that affect us and how we make decisions? This takes us to verse 3, 4, and 5, which we could summarize as saying simply this. Our limited knowledge should not keep us frozen. The uncertainties of life should not hold us back from making bold decisions wisely. Look at verse 3. Kohileth says, If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. In other words, people can see general patterns that happen in life. But at the same time, we cannot completely, correctly predict every situation that life brings. So in verse 3, he's got the clouds that send down the rain. And we've seen, I don't know about y'all, but I feel like I've seen a lot more storms, summer storms this summer than I have in the past. It may be just me. But whenever you see clouds off to the distance, that start to get gray. Then they start to get a little more black. Then all of a sudden you feel the wind picking up. And then you see the lightning flash in the sky. You may hear um, some thunder roll like Garth Brooks sang it. (laughs) If you hear all those things and see all those things, chances are there's rain coming. There are some things we can know under the sun, but not everything. The preacher goes on to determine whether a tree falls to the south or to the north. Now... If you try to cut a tree down with a chainsaw, you can cut it in several different techniques to where you could make it get it to fall the way you want it to. But I've also seen videos of guys who tried to do that, and the tree ends up falling the opposite direction they want it to fall, whether it's on their house, on their back deck, or on their barn. And sure enough, the expenses go up to fix that. Even with a chainsaw, it seems like trees can be unpredictable at times. But verse 3 does give us knowledge that we can bank on about trees. It says, wherever a tree falls, there it will lie. We can know that for sure. That is certain. That is a law of nature that God has established. And when we try to make bold decisions like tree landscaping in our backyard or hiking the paths of life, we feel comfortable with what we know. But it's easy for us to think about the things that we don't know. It's those things that can mess us up. Verse 4, he says, He who observes the wind will not sow. He who regards the clouds will not reap. Now, I've been around farmland all my life with, my folks, my grandparents, cow pastures, some land in my family's name with, had soybean fields in the past. I've been around farmland all my life. And some of you may have had, um, know a lot more about farming than I do. A lot of you may, some of you may have had more farming experience. But it's safe to say that farmers are never 100% sure how each season will be with their crops. But they study the weather to determine when it, is a, when it is a good and fair time to plant and when to harvest. They study the, the weather for these things. But, but these farmers, in verse 4, they look at the weather so much that they never plant anything. They think, unless the farming conditions are 125% perfect, I will not waste one seed now, think about our friend Walter Houston. If he was a farmer, he'd have a rough time at the produce stand right now. If I was looking for some peaches, I love peaches. Watermelon, I love watermelons too. <laughs> if I look for all those things right now, chances are Walter Houston ain't, probably ain't going to have them. The farmer of verse 4 knew that there would be risk with the weather. But instead of planting anyway, he decided to freeze an indecision and do nothing. How many times do we wait to make decisions until the absolute sparkly clean perfect timing? Perfect timing more squeaky, squeaky clean than the bus that our youth cleaned last week. A struggle for some could be I'm going to wait until the perfect time to share the gospel with somebody. I'm going to wait until I have the right amount of free time until I can serve the church. For someone, it might be, I'll wait until the right time to repent of my sins and trust in Jesus. If we think this way, if we wait until that perfect 140% time, We're in a paralyzed fix. But instead of this, we can come before God in humility. We come before God in humility with our limitations. And we can trust Him. But the preacher's not done talking about limitations. Verse 5, he says... As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. There are many things God has created and maintained that are too great for us to understand. A big one in our text that's given is the unborn. Now, with God's gifts of science and technology, we can know a lot more about the unborn now than Solomon could in his time. Yet, it is one of the most controversial issues of our time. But when we talk about the importance of the unborn, the Christian worldview gives a lot less confusion than the secular worldview. Yet, it still amazes us to see, it's still amazing to see how a child does grow in a mother's womb. How does God cause one human being who was made in the image of God, who was fearfully and wonderfully made, who was known by the God who formed it, how does one person grow inside of another? How was the soul of that baby formed? We can know some things, but we can't know everything. After his dark suffering and demand for a reason why, Job is humbled when God reveals himself to him. Job 38, verse four, five and six says, "God's speaking to Job." He says, "Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth?" Tell me, if you have understanding, who determined its measurements, surely you know, Or who stretched the line upon it on what were its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone? After four chapters of that, Job is put in his rightful place and comes to a time of repentance. He comes to a place of repentance. in chapter 42, he says, "I have uttered what I do not understand. things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Just as Job, just as Job did not know, we do not know. But your family, think about this. Every time Job would answer, I do not know, God says, I do know. Despite all this, there's no wisdom in sitting still all our life without doing anything. Our limited knowledge should cause us to make bold decisions wisely and not stay frozen. This takes us to verse 6, which we could summarize as this. So while you have the chance verse 6 In the morning sow your seed and at evening withhold not your hand for you do not know which will prosper this or that or whether both alike will be good The farmer of verse 4 he would have waited until the he would have waited the perfect time to plant he would have he wanted to wait until he knew for sure which seeds would prosper and then plant. But the preacher is saying, you don't know which seeds will prosper until you plant them. It could be the morning seeds that do all right, or it could be the evening seeds that do all right. You don't know until you plant. This is pretty much another way of saying, cast cast your bread upon the waters, You never know which portions will thrive. Another way to say it, this verse, is cast your seed upon the ground. You never know which ones will grow and bear fruit. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 3 and following, Jesus says, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground. For they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no roots, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil, produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty and Psalm 30. As the chapter goes on, Jesus talks about these seeds in greater detail, and he shows that the different types of seeds in that parable, it represents different types of people who hear the gospel. But out of those four, only one wholly receives the gospel. Only one group of people receive the gospel in such a way that it brings Fruit a hundredfold and then some. When we are scattering seeds in service to the kingdom of God, we don't know in advance which seeds will be eaten or which seeds will prosper. We have a better idea after those seeds are planted and watered. But in the meantime, don't let your uncertainty keep you from sowing. If you have a chance to sow, so, so boldly, so wisely, pray that, God, pray that God would use you to grow a gospel garden. Our text seems to come full circle on itself with the bread and the seeds to say, make bold decisions wisely. And along our journey through this text, I hope you've seen some main takeaways that we can grab and take away and put in our minds and hearts. But we may need to clarify exactly what those, those big biggings are, those big points. What can we learn from this? What should we take away from this? Number one, uncertainty should bring us to action, not inaction. What we know to be certain is that there are some things that are uncertain to us. Uncertainty is a reality for us. And we've seen that all throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. Chapter chapter 3, verse 11 says, He has made everything beautiful in its time, talking about God. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Chapter 8, verse 17 We see it there where the word says this. Then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. And we learned last week with chapter 9 verses 11 and 12. We're big on this. It says, Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to all. For a man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in the evil net, and like birds that are caught in the snare. So the children of man are snared in an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Life is unpredictable. There's risk in every decision we make. But because of that, we don't freeze up. We make our decisions and act on them with boldness and wisdom. But instead of action, it's easy for us to, it's easy for us to only think about those decisions without ever committing them. It's easy for those things to stay in our mind. One biblical counselor put it this way. The safest place to live is our own mind. Unlike real life, you get to control everything there. There's hardly any risk in just thinking about casting your bread upon the waters or just merely thinking about sowing your seed. But is that really living? Or is that just being undead, is that being a good steward of the short life that God gave us? It's possible for us to be breathing and never actually live. Think about Tim McGraw's song, Live Like You Are Dying. Y'all thought I was going to preach without mentioning some prime country songs. <laughs> Think about the guy in that song, Did he only think about skydiving or Rocky Mountain climbing? Did he only ever just think about going 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu? That's a cool name. Sounds like something from Kung Fu Panda or something. Did he ever just think about loving deeper or speaking sweeter or giving forgiveness? No, he actually did all those things. He checked off his bucket list, and the preacher, he doesn't seem opposed to bucket lists. And if you have one, knock it out. You, you may not be able to do everything, but try it and do what you can. Do it with the short life that God gave you. That is living. And to live, we have one life. You have one life. How will you use it? Should we use it only with, only with things like climbing the Rockies or skydiving? Takes us to our next point. Number two, have open hands toward God with what you have. Throughout our study in Ecclesiastes, Pastor Isaac has said, life is a gift, not gain. Part of that is good stewardship with the things that God Has given us. How do we practice good stewardship? By being generous with what we have. In Luke chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What is he saying? This does not mean hate the way that we think of hate. It's saying we must love Jesus more than our possessions, more than our family, more than our life. We do that by being generous with what we have, especially our bread and seeds, possessions, so on and so forth. If we kept it all to ourselves, we would be like the farmer in verse 4 and do nothing. Pastor Isaac told me the other day about how his dad would have everyone in church. I mean, he would do this right here in the pulpit with open hands to symbolize and to show that we are to have open hands with what we have toward the Lord. But if our fist is too tight on certain things that we have, the Lord might try to pry our fingers open. For us to have an open hand. God will take away our idols to get our attention. Like we learned last week, if, if we run from God with our possessions, they will hurt us. I know it. I've done it. I've seen it. It hurts big time. With those that God with those things that God has given us, we have open hands and continue in our generosity. This includes everything from our time, our finances, and everything in between. I also say this give generously with our knowledge of the gospel and knowledge of the word, whether it's in evangelism to an unbeliever or maybe a commitment to discipling a younger believer. Good stewardship is bold stewardship, whether it's in the workplace, the choir loft, or in overseas missions. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 and following, Jesus tells a parable of a man who gave property to three servants. The first servant received five talents, who then traded those talents to turn five talents into ten talents. The second servant received two talents, who then traded those talents, and turned those two talents into four. But the the third servant received one talent. And what did he do? He dug a hole in the ground and kept it there and hid it. Church family, which ones were the faithful stewards? The first two. The third one didn't do anything with his, and it costed him greatly when the master came. Bold stewardship includes bold wisdom. This brings us to the last point, which, which grabs the heart of the message. Number three, make bold decisions for the kingdom of God. For some, that bold decision might be a commitment of their life to Jesus, repenting of sin having a saving faith and trust in Christ. They may have even said the sinner's prayer way back in the day with, without anything to show for it, without the heart ever being changed. It is then that they should make a bold decision to truly repent and believe in the gospel of Christ. When the day of death comes for each of us, only that will matter. Church family, the gospel is a gift that we can share with each other, those outside the walls, and also with ourselves. Because it is the gospel that we must preach, even to ourselves, every day. When our days are done, we will give an account for how we have used our life. Did we dig it into the ground, or did we invest it? for the gospel. Make bold decisions for the kingdom of God. Do something for the gospel. Don't waste your life. And in closing, I will let's consider this. When we think about the gathering of saints here at Wake Chapel, we can think, how does a 22-year-old who just graduated with an undergraduate Bible degree, how does he preach the Word of God to his church family before heading off to seminary? I would say two things. First, it's the Lord and His grace. And secondly, I think it's the way that the Lord has done this in His grace. Secondly, a big thing, it's because of you. It's because of you all. It's because of you... That this 22 year old is standing here today. Many of you in this room have made bold decisions wisely for pouring into that little kid who was obsessed with Lightning McQueen and went through a weird phase of being scared of dogs and cats for a little bit. But by God's grace now, I have three dogs. I think about those who raised me, all my family who are, are here today. I think about the pastors who have poured into me throughout the years. I think about the many volunteers who have poured into me in Awana and upward. And I think about the Sunday school teachers who taught me God's word. I think about those who always greet me with a smiling face. Here in this building, whether I was 22 or 14, you all made the bold and wise decision to cast your bread upon the waters for the kingdom and serve kids like me. Church family, thank you. There are others that you are pouring into now that are just like me. And I'm sure that those opportunities will continue for them and even for others. Keep sowing your seeds for the kingdom of God. You never know how God will use your obedience to work in a person's heart. Don't waste your life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, bless this time here together. Bless this message. I pray that you will pour into our hearts, Lord. Lord, I also know that I have to practice what I preach, and I pray that you will help me to do that. Um, I thank you for the chance to go to seminary with me and Noah. That's very I know it's very exciting for both of us, but I know for me with my se- seminary life, there are some big decisions that I have to make down the road. And I pray for wisdom on that and to make those bold decisions wisely. Bless the rest of our time here together, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.